Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on the glorious occasion of Theresa May's last day as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Just as the Tory party has imploded up in Peterborough and the Brexit party has proved that a week is a long time in politics. Last night, the Labour Party actually won the by-election despite their candidates' lacklustre campaign, despite an anti-Semitism inquiry into the organisation and despite the rise of Nigel Farage and the confusion over Brexit and what on earth their policy is. It might have been only 683 votes, but it has proved that the Brexit party is nowhere near where everyone thought they were including themselves by the way and if there was a general election tomorrow they would not get anywhere near enough MPs to come close to forming a government. I know there will be people that will disagree with that but I'm not one of them the truth of the matter is that the two party first past the post system mitigates against smaller parties from actually winning seats and until they change it that will be the status quo. Even the Lib Dems failed to capitalise on their recent wave of support coming in with just 4,000 votes less than half of the Brexit party. What can it all mean? We'll be canvassing the opinions of loads of politicians loads of pundits and of course many many observers throughout the show today but what we really want to do is hear from all of you out there because the most intelligent radio audience in the world must be drawing an awful lot of conclusions about what happened up in Peterborough last night 0344 499 1000 coming up later it's the first Friday of the month so we'll be celebrating with a bit of a gin tasting and of course it's the Perrier Awards as well an homage to my brilliance in broadcasting 0344 499 1000 get involved get stuck in you're listening to me Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we've got a whole host of people to talk to throughout the course of the day. Chris Philp is going to be first up, Conservative MP for Croydon South. The Conservatives had a pretty bad night, but just to set the scene and to find out precisely what uh, conclusions we can draw from what went on last night, let's start first of all with Ross Kempsell, our political editor, uh, who's been up all night, who's been up in Peterborough all night. And Ross, uh, I saw a picture of you from three o'clock this morning sitting on a sofa somewhere. So thank you so much for staying awake for long enough to talk to us. It's um, great, great pleasure. Tell, great us, pleasure. Uh, tell us what you made of it all last night. Let's have a listen to the crucial moment where we got the results. And I do hereby declare that Lisa Forbes is duly elected the <laughs> member of now, it was an interesting night, wasn't it? Because throughout the night, and you had been tweeting, and I think you well, you managed to be ahead of most people, been saying that Nigel Farage had actually arrived. Yeah. My feeling about what happened with Nigel Farage last night is that he didn't play it particularly well. Unusually for him, he seemed to be caught a bit off guard, and he made himself look a little bit amateurish, I thought. So, if you want the straight opinion of an observer who was at the count, uh, the handling of Nigel Farage that evening by Brexit Party apparatchiks was not good. Mm. So they brought him to the count... Uh, at about 20 past 10, getting on for 11, way too early. Uh, and he was uh, put into the candidate's room, uh, which is a kind of windowless room, kept away from the media. Of course, everyone 
got out that he was there. Right. People just waiting outside, trying to catch him, trying to photograph him, trying to doorstep him. He wanders across the corridor to go to the gents and back, and then everyone descends on him, the right. entire media mobs scrum, stuff, mobs yeah. him, says nothing. And then he has to essentially sulk away mm. uh, because it becomes clear later that the Brexit party is not going to win. The Labour Party has narrowly squeaked this uh, by a majority of around about 600. Yeah. We know that that is uh, not a significant improvement on where the Labour Party were, but it's a significant uh, 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 failure by the Brexit party to take their first mm. MP at Westminster after a very hyped campaign. Right. So and Nigel Farage that, is driven seemed, away. Yeah, it seems to me they played that wrong because under any other circumstance... This would be considered to be a great result for the Brexit Party. But because they hyped it up to such an extent that they were going to win it and they were going to walk it, and the Labour Party were nowhere near the hustings, they weren't even doing any campaigning, they were in the midst of this Brexit sort of stramash, plus the fact that the anti-Semitism campaign was kicking in. You know, to lose under those circumstances uh, is pretty is pretty dire. So the expectation management for the Brexit Party went wrong. Now, I wonder whether that's more to do with the national picture, this sense that we have coming out of the European Parliament elections, where, of course, the Brexit Party triumphed, but also out of the local elections, this narrative about the demise of the two main parties, both Labour mm. and the Tories struggling, whether that played into a kind of false sense that the Brexit Party were going to absolutely storm ahead here, where in reality, if you look at the seats, Labour were always going to do pretty well in Peterborough. So, yes, they have had a very difficult start to the campaign because their previous MP, their former MP, Fiona Onasandia, the reason we had this by-election was because she went to prison, yeah. so it's not a great start for right. the Labour Party uh, locally. And secondly, uh, they've had a candidate who has attracted... Uh, some accusations of anti-Semitism, which she's denied, but it's mm. been a rocky campaign yeah. on a kind of personal level on the candidates. And also there's been the overall sense that there's just no clarity from Labour on uh, their Brexit position. And that has been used, of course, that's not what Labour say, but it's been used against them by almost everybody else in this in this fight. They also managed Labour to alienate, uh, especially alienate the Remain parties, the Green Party, uh, the Liberal Democrats, the Renew Party who stood in Peterborough, because they wanted to go on a joint ticket to put up a single Remain candidate and the Labour Party, they said, in their view, torpedoed that. So all round, it was looking bad. But if you looked at the numbers, Labour's ground operation in Peterborough, this is where their advantage was over the Brexit party. So there's two ways of campaigning on polling day, very quickly. One is called get out the vote. So that means you know who the voters are, who you need to get out to the polling station because they've already told you that they're going and to vote you. you're literally driving them there. You're literally driving them yeah. there. You're driving them there. You're getting people to ring them directly to say, have you voted yet? You know, these are people who have pledged to vote. Or you're doing what the Brexit Party did on polling day, which was getting a lot of well-meaning volunteers, five or 600, I'm told, but just absolutely spamming uh, Peterborough with mm. leaflets. There's too many houses, there's too many voters, there's too many people to do that effectively unless you have a good get-out-the-vote operation. Nigel Farage says the reason this morning why it didn't go well is because he didn't have any data, didn't have any reporting, so he couldn't target in that way. Now, when the Brexit Party catches up and is able to develop that, and it's going to have to develop local-level structures, it needs to do two things. One is develop a local-level structure and the second is develop a broad policy manifesto. Those are the two big bridges to cross. Okay. Ross, thanks very much. Stay with us because we want to talk to Chris Philp now who is of course Conservative MP for Croydon South. Chris, thanks for waiting for us uh, patiently there. Um, we're summing this up really as though it's not a great night for the Brexit party. Labour have done surprisingly well but pretty awful night for you guys. Well look, it's always difficult when governments fight by-elections in the middle of a campaign and it's particularly difficult when we fight a by-election just like the European elections without Brexit having been delivered. Um, I think what is, what, what's interesting from this is that uh, what's clear is that you know, where the Brexit party sort of push, 
Um, they didn't win the seat, even though they expected to. The fact Nigel Farage turned up and was sort of lurking around the place shows very clearly they were expecting mm. to win. But what it's done is it's handed the seat to Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party. So um, if we can't demonstrate to people who want to leave the European Union that we are going to do that and in the future have done it, um, then and the Brexit Party continue to run, they will sort of split the vote and let Jeremy Corbyn into Downing Street. And that is, uh, that would be a terrible thing for the country, um, terrible thing for our economy, terrible thing for our national security. So what I would say to you know, Brexit Party voters is once we've delivered Brexit, which I think we will do in the next few months, um, you know, come back and support the Conservative Party, because otherwise um, we're going to see Jeremy Corbyn in Downing Street. And that will be a almost, you know, all of us can agree that would be a disastrous thing. Well, that's true, but Nigel Farage's line on that, of course, is vote Conservative, get Labour. So he's saying to people, don't bother about voting Conservative because they're not even second anymore. Vote for us in the Brexit Party if that's what you want to get. And Brexit is only going to be delivered by the Brexit Party. And you can see his logic there. Well, Brexit needs to be delivered by this Parliament. And as I say, handing the keys of Downing Street to... And of course, the Brexit Party don't have a single MP. They were expecting to have one this morning, but they don't have one. They've got zero MPs. And as I say, you know, handing the keys of Downing Street to Jeremy Corbyn um, would be a complete catastrophe. And we've just got to focus very firmly on stopping that happening. Well, let's look at how you're going to stop that happening, because quite frankly, uh, we've been watching all of you guys in Parliament now for the best part of nine months doing absolutely nothing towards getting Brexit done. Uh, and it's not looking as if it's going to get any nearer, no matter who becomes the Prime Minister and no matter who leads the Tory party into the next pe uh, session. Well, I, I am, and 90% of Conservative MPs um, have voted very clearly to deliver Brexit on the deal that Theresa May proposed, despite all of its flaws, which we know about and we've debated endlessly. Despite its flaws, I and 90% of them Tory MPs voted for that to get it done and to leave the European Union. What we saw was principally the Labour Party and the SNP basically playing political games with Brexit, finding excuses to try and frustrate it. Um, in the case of the SNP, because they want to try and um, invent a pretext for a second Scottish independence referendum, and in the case of the Labour Party, because they want to try and trigger a general election. So if you want to um, identify whose fault it is, why, this, why we haven't left, it's the SNP and Labour MPs and the few Lib Dems who have stood in the way of us leaving. I also, by the way... There's also been a few did. Tory MPs who've stood in the yeah, way of it as well. Yeah, so in, in the, in the well, I say 90% of Tory MPs voted for the deal, and I think there were 34 Conservative MPs who voted against it at the, at the third time of asking, but there were obviously like 300-odd Labour and um, SNP and Lib Dem MPs who voted basically against Brexit. So if you want to know where the fault for that lies, it's on the Labour, Lib Dem and SNP side of the House. Um, so I feel I've done my bit by voting for Brexit with the deal. I also voted for a no-deal exit. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm following the instructions that the British people gave me um, in the referendum. Um, a new leader may change the dynamic um, depending on on who it is. Um, and I think we need to be, we need parliamentarians of all parties just need to focus on following the instruction we were given. And clearly, those Labour MPs, those small number of Conservatives, but the much larger number of Labour elections. And firstly, and second, secondly, I hope they just sort of develop a newfound respect. Well, the SNP for did pretty well, though, didn't they? So far. The SNP um, were very happy in the European elections. They only got, they only got I think, I'm, I think I'm right in saying they've only got less than half the vote in Scotland. They've got about 37 or 38% of the vote in Scotland, which is not 
brilliant. It's well under half. Well, they got three seats um, out of six, and they were very happy. Yeah, but the actual share, but the actual share of the vote was a lot lower. It was like, it wasn't yeah, but you, people don't want to hear that, Chris. People do not want to hear the, the independents vote going this way, or you know, the Remain parties won that way, and you know, people are sick to death of all that. They want a clear and proper strategy that they can get behind and say, well, at least now we've got a government that knows what it's doing. Theresa May's final day in office today uh, is kind of simplified and, sim and, and signalled by another failure of the Tory party at the polls. Yeah, well, look, clearly the result wasn't a particularly good one, but we're going to have a new leader in a matter of a few weeks' time who will, I think, push Brexit with a renewed figure. And if we can get... So we only need to... Of those 34 Conservatives who voted against on the third vote last time, if we got 29 of those 34... Um, voting with some kind of deal, it would pass. And, you know, I, I, would, so I, would, I would, besides my, the appeal I just made to Labour, Lib Dem and SNP MPs, which you said might fall on deaf ears, you may be right, I would also appeal to those 34 Conservatives to get behind delivering the deal. And as I say, if we get 29 of those 34 voting for some kind of exit deal in the next few months, you know, we will leave. And that's what we should definitely do. And who would be the right candidate then to unite the party and get those 29 votes and make sure that they happened? Well, it's not just about uniting the party. It's also about uniting the country. Um, and I think we need to select as a leader someone who will do both. So uniting the party and uh, motivating our base is, is one thing. But the, the job of prime minister isn't just about a party job. It's a, it's a national job of leadership to unite an entire country. And that's why I've chosen personally um, to back Sajid Javid, because I think not only can he deliver Brexit and, and unite the party in the way you described, I think more importantly, he can unite the country, whether that's north, south, Scotland, London, old, young, um, different ethnic minority groups, um, et cetera, et cetera, different regions, different views on Brexit. I think he's a unifying figure, partly because of his own backstory, you know, starting with nothing, the son of um, immigrants from Pakistan who arrived in Heathrow, or Heathrow with a pound in their pocket, and just through sheer hard work, he's embodied the British dream that you can start anywhere yeah, but and you know what? anything. Chris, honestly, and I don't mean to any disrespect to Sajid Javid, nobody cares about that. What we care about is how the Brexit strategy is going to play out, how he's going to go to Brussels and get a better deal which everybody can unite behind. If he wants a customs union, he ain't going to get it through. If he wants to have no. some kind of Irish backstop removed, he ain't going to get that through. You know, how's he going to do it? Well, look, he's, he's laid out a pretty clear... If you want to talk about the, his Brexit strategy, he's got a pretty clear one. Um, he will. His first move would be to go back to Europe with obviously a new mandate from the Conservative Party and attempt to make some very specific changes to the withdrawal agreement, which I know in the past they said they won't do, but we're going to ask again. We, Parliament, the one thing Parliament has passed, in fact, the only thing Parliament has passed, is the Brady Amendment back in about February, which says we will accept the withdrawal agreement as drafted, despite its weaknesses, with one change, which is to the, to the backstop, an, an alternative mechanism to deal with the backstop. And there's work happening on that as we speak. There's an alternative arrangements commission being run by Nicky Morgan and Greg Hans to look at the, with about 20 experts, um, like border experts and customs experts, looking at practically how that could work. And I think it's going to publish in two or three weeks' time. So he'll go back to so move number one, go back to Brussels, probably with that report, um, to make the little changes that are required that we know would then pass Parliament. The one thing that would pass Parliament, and these Europeans keep saying, uh, the EU Commission keeps saying, oh, we don't know what you want. Well, actually, Parliament has passed that, and he would go with that to Brussels. Now, they may say no. They may say we're not interested in that, um, in which case he is prepared um, to leave with no deal on the 31st of October. Um, now, if Parliament sort of sought to stand in the way of that, um, we would have to see, um, you know, what to do 
They can't result, really, they can they? I mean, I think what we need is a leader who stands up not only to the European Union, but also to Parliament, because there is no law by which we cannot leave the European Union without it being uh, sort of, you know, rubber-stamped by Parliament. We can do it without Parliament, can't we? Yeah, that, that's right. As, 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 in fact, as matters stand, if, if nothing else happens, nothing else changes, we will simply leave on the 31st of October um, with no deal. And if the European Union won't agree a sensible deal, that is what Sajid Javid is prepared to do. Now, but what, we, what we saw a couple of months ago was, um, or a few weeks ago, was Oliver Letwin, together with, um, I think it was Yvette Cooper and a few other people, tried to sort of um, use unusual parliamentary techniques to try and um, kind of override that by introducing legislation. They didn't quite because Theresa May decided to extend, they didn't sort of push that to the end. But it's likely some people in Parliament, so Oliver and, and Yvette Cooper particularly, will probably try and stop that, but they may or may not be successful. But his approach is pretty pretty clear. But now you said, just to move on, you said you didn't think the backstory was relevant. Um, I think it is in a sense relevant. Because I don't think it's not public... relevant. I just don't think people... People are so fed up with politicians right now, Chris. They're not going to be uh, sort of sugar-coated by being told that somebody's very, very dedicated, like Theresa May was, works very hard, has come from nothing. You know, I don't think anybody's interested in that anymore. Well, look, I think you asked me how you've got a Brexit plan. I've told you what the plan is. But I think it is important to people know that the person leading the country is someone who understands what it's like to start with nothing and to succeed and who understands what it's like to, to live in poverty, to understand what you can achieve with hard work and to help and somebody wants to help other people achieve that same dream. I think that is important. Um, and particularly from a conservative perspective, it's important to let electors who don't ordinarily vote conservative, uh, who wouldn't normally think about voting conservative, to know that you know, there is someone from a background just like theirs um, who is running the country. I think that's sort of inspirational message it's particularly important from a Conservative perspective because it'll get people to support the Conservative Party who would not ordinarily or might not ordinarily consider doing so. I think that is important. Well, I'll tell you what, Chris, I'll do you some free market research and we'll get people to call in and tell us whether they care about the background of whoever is about to become the next Prime Minister. Chris Phil, thank you very much indeed. Conservative MP for Croydon South. Ross Campbell, one final word from you. Um, I'm sure that listening to that, most people will say... Nothing is changing in the Tory party. They're still talking about, you know, manipulating the, uh, the withdrawal agreement. They're still talking about convincing Parliament. It's the same old song, isn't it? Yeah, the top line for the changing that song probably has to be around leaving mm. deal or no deal on October the 31st. Now, yeah. Sajid Javid's saying that he's signed up to that. The reality is, I think Sajid Javid is rapidly becoming the kingmaker rather than the king in this election. He, he has had a bounce in the past few days. He has widened his team very significantly in the past 48 hours. He's hiring people all the time. He could become a very significant uh, influence as to who, who comes comes strongly through the parliamentary phase, whether that's Boris Johnson or Michael Gove. OK, Ross, thank you very much indeed. Ross Council, political editor. Do you really care the background uh, noise coming from whatever candidate succeeds as the next Prime Minister? Theresa May's leaving today, except, of course, she's not leaving because she doesn't want to leave. See what I did there? 0344 499 1000. Uh, this is Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio.
This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000. It's the first Friday of a new month, of course. Friday, June the 7th. A remarkable turnaround, really, uh, for the main two political parties of this country. The Brexit Party were sure uh, they were going to win Peterborough, but they didn't. They came second. Now, a lot of people uh, are tweeting me today uh, to tell me that the postal vote was very high, suggesting there was some kind of jiggery-pokery going on. I don't know if the postal vote was very high, and I certainly don't know if there was any jiggery-pokery. But let's not fall into the trap of every time there's a, uh, an election and then a result that you don't like, that you start pointing fingers at people and telling them, oh, they must have cheated. I mean, really, we're a bit more grown up than that, aren't we? Let's talk to John Mann, Labour MP uh, for Bassett Law. John, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Now, um, I've just been speaking to one of your uh, colleagues at the Labour Party, Jim Fitzpatrick, who was, I think, quite pleasantly surprised, uh, as many people were in the Labour Party, that they managed to hold on to Peterborough because uh, all the sort of signs were that that was never going to happen. I think the only, I, th I think the only surprise for the kind of the election analyst types is I think people thought the Conservative vote would be uh, lower than it was, would mm. collapse to nothing. That was kind of the the working assumption of many people. Yeah. In fact, I mean, it fell, but it it, it, it was the the seven thousand. Um, that's the vote the Brexit Party didn't get, and obviously it wouldn't have taken many of those seven thousand for them to win it, and um, so. Uh, and I think, uh, technically, you know, electorally, the Labour Party fought a good campaign. Um, you know, a lot of people knocking on doors, uh, squeezing out the votes that could be found who would vote Labour. Mm. So I think Labour won this election on organisation. Yes. No question about that. That's what an awful lot of people are saying. In fact, uh, Nigel Farage, I think, has acknowledged that as well. And he's saying that... And, and, and I'd say that as a problem. I mean, that's, 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 that's what I do locally. Sure. Um, uh, you know, that's not enough um, at general election time. But for a by-election, um, organisation is a, is, is, is a pivotal um, uh, difference. And so the, uh, the Labour Party organiser, their chap called MP called Vernon Coker, is mm. probably the man who should take the credit for this um, because it's clearly very tightly organised. And you know, 10,000 votes isn't very many compared to what Labour's got in recent elections, but it was enough. Well, I was, in, I was listening in last night. You know, in an election, it's kind of winner takes all. Well, that's right. Unless you're a Remainer, of course, in which case you say you add up all the other parties and then you call it a draw. But that's for another time for another argument. But also, um, it turns out that this is the lowest ever share of a vote, I believe, that any MP who's in the Houses of Parliament has ever got and won. And, and that's really quite um, significant. Yes. And because... It's the era, I think, we're entering whereby um, the country's divided. Obviously, we all know that. Um, approximately 50-50 mm. um, and on, 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 on Brexit. Parliament, there's no majority for anything on this in Parliament. That's been proven repeatedly. Um, and, and I think we are into an era where, um, as things stand there's going to be minority governments and parliament and political parties are going to need to get used to this. And I don't think that, that certainly hasn't happened. That's not been the tradition in this country. Um, it is in many countries where it's always coalition governments of one kind or other. Um, I think we're in a period where that looks very, very likely indeed in this country, which will need quite a lot of thinking by yeah. people because, you know, we seem we're trying to deliver Brexit. Um, uh, you know, I get attacked for my uh, manifesto. I supported Brexit, as you know. I voted mm. for it, campaigned for it. Yeah. I, I then get attacked for 
of voting for um, a, a, a alongside Conservative MPs um, to try and get Brexit through, because there were Conservative MPs voting in, in the same lobby as Jeremy Corbyn trying to block the yes. deal that was there. Well, people are going to need to be a lot more mature yes. in their thinking. And if people can say I'm wrong and you know, I shouldn't have voted that way, that's a perfectly legitimate argument for people to put. But, you know, the idea that um, you, you, you can simply stick to um, party lines when it's minority government um, is not understanding the realities um, of, of the world. And we could have that in this country for the next decade. Yes, and I think you're right, and, and, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, because I said many, many months ago, um, I think it was last year, in fact, that, you know, wouldn't it be more sensible to co-opt members of the Labour Party and other opposition parties who are in favour of Brexit to let it make it make it get, get through Parliament? And that seems to me to be the way forward, and it's much more grown-up, it's much more issue-based, and, you know, why on earth should you agree with everybody in your party just because the whip tells you to agree uh, on, on issues of conscience and other things? And, 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 you know, I mean, you know, that, that you, you, your, your proposal there would have been laughed out of court by, um, by, by everybody yeah. at the top of the Conservative Party. Not because they necessarily disagreed with the logic, but that's not how we do things. Mm. Um, I think the other, the other thing that comes from this ballot, and it's very interesting, uh, and it, this is a bit... I mean, the Brexit Party obviously could have won it because it was a very narrow majority. But I don't think the Brexit Party is going to be capable of getting the kind of the 50, 100 seats um, that, that obviously Nigel has, has said the, he anticipates the mm. end. Some other commentators and some pollsters have said they would get. I don't think anywhere near that terrain. I think the impact of the Brexit Party um, could be very decisive in who's in power. But I think it's going to be far more in results like this, where they take a... Uh, a very respectable chunk of votes. Um, they win a few seats because sometimes they're the ones who just manage to scrape ahead. But a lot of results like this um, that are very close. And uh, you know, if you look at this result, actually, they, the, the, the Conservative Party is probably kicking themselves. They've kind of given up this seat yeah. a long time back. Right. They're looking at the result and saying, hang on a minute, shouldn't have we thrown loads of resource on people at it? tried to squeeze the Brexit prize, what we could have won. Yes. Well, no, absolutely you, right. You, and can't, I think... you, can't, you can't win elections, you know, retrospectively. But um, I think, I think I, most people thought, and I, I, I thought the Tory vote uh, would collapse mm. to something that was um, derisory. Now, it collapsed, um, but, but, but so did the Labour vote yes. collapse from the, from the general election. Um, and, you know, it is winner-takes-all. Labour celebrating, appropriately so. We win. Um, you imagine, though, it's that tight. It would have been Nigel celebrating. Yeah. I think the lesson is, if complacency builds in from this, that would be catastrophic. Mm. And also, the second referendumers, this is not a good result for them. The Liberals didn't get that many votes. And everyone's gone on about how it's a, a you know, this is a time of, you know, a real hype for the Brexit party, that's true, but it's also a real hype for the Liberals. In opinion polls, they were first in the ones I saw yes. last week, and yet they got less than half the vote in Peterborough they got in 2010. Now, and, think and, about and less that. than half the vote that the Brexit party got, so how are they Brexit, going to spin so, that so, into so, a Remainer so, vote? I don't know how they're going so, to do that. So, so the, the kind of the, uh, all the momentum behind 
Labour needs to shift a second referendum or Labour will be dead. Mm. That's been stopped in its tracks. Right. This result, for anyone who's serious about analysing how you win elections, that is dead as a, uh, as, as a rational idea. You know, Labour is not going to lose the next election because of the Liberal Democrats. Labour loses the next election because we've not seen through Brexit and the Brexit party takes too many of our votes and we end up, as we could have done in Peterborough, we end up losing some seats, possibly not by much, but we end up losing some seats and therefore we're out of power because we failed to deliver on Brexit. Right. John, thank you very much indeed. We've got to run. John Mann there, Labour MP for Bassett Law, drawing some very interesting conclusions from what happened. Second referendum, no thanks. Lib Dems, no thanks. The Remainer argument, gone. Dead in the water. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk Radio. Now, lots of you do want to get on, lots of you will get on, and I'm going to kick off this hour actually with a call because Rachel uh, is calling in from Norwich, and uh, she's among many people this morning who were saying there's some kind of a uh, jiggery-pokery going on in Peterborough because of the postal vote. I don't know how you know about that, but let's find out. Rachel, very good morning to you. What can you tell us? Hello. Um, I, I'm a little bit nervous, so you'll have to bear with me. Don't but, be nervous. Um, OK. Um, and I know that I'm going to be called a party pooper, but because I, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm a Brexit um, party supporter. OK. But um, I did look into this um, before the, the, the results came out. So it's not like I waited till, till I realised I'd lost and then I looked into it. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. So um, I read an article. Um, I, I was looking up about postal voting, the Labour Party, um, and I read some things um, that were really concerning. Um, in um, and then, so uh, Richard Maury QC um, uh, did something with the BBC about um, postal voting being on an industrial scale. That was in 2014. Right. Okay. So 
2016, um, a man canvassing for the Labour Party was sent to prison um, for 15 months. Um, it was a four-month case. He, he was sent to prison for 15 months for um, postal fraud. Postal fraud. Okay. Well, postal um, voting fraud. Yeah. Yeah, and apparently um, he was working for them this time. So I'm only going by what I've read. Yes. Um, well, this it is the thing. Day. I'm quite surprised. I mean, I've, I've, I wanted to talk to you, Rachel, because lots of people on Twitter are sending me tweets saying the postal vote was at six, as high as 69% of the vote. Yeah. It was, you know, how does everybody know these figures? Where do they come from? Um, funnily enough, I was trying to find out where I read that and I couldn't because I thought I got it from the same article, but um, I was just trying a minute ago and I couldn't find where I read it. Um, but, it, yeah, I read that it was 69%. It just seems really high. And um, it seems that Labour... Um, have more postal voting than other parties, which is a bit weird, but um, I just thought that was a bit... Yeah, so you don't really know... Anyway. I mean, so you it's, don't know for sure that the postal vote was higher than you would have expected it to be? I read that it was 69%. Yeah, well, I read that it was 69% on Twitter. It doesn't make it real, though, does it? I know, but the, the point is, wasn't it brought... So people have... So this um, Richard Morey QC, um, he's saying that um, I know it was back in 2014, but the postal voting fraud was on an industrial scale. Um, yeah, but that's in 2014. I'm interested in what's happening now, Rachel. And that's okay. my, my worry. So my, here's, here's what my yeah. worry is, right? Yeah. My worry is that every time there's now an election, somebody who doesn't win it is going to claim that there's some kind of jiggery-pokery going on instead of just going, well, I'm sorry, we, we didn't win. It's as simple as that. <laughs> Try harder next time, you know? No, no, fair enough. And I... I um, but, you know, um, I d didn't think that I was one of those people, uh, a party pooper. But and I've told myself that I, I shouldn't be like that. Um, but I just can't get this out of my head. Yeah. It just seems really odd. And um, I don't know, it just, it just seems weird, especially because, um, I don't know, Labour don't even appear to um, have expected this result anyway, I don't know. No, I think the, um, point, anyway. I think the point is, listen, Rachel, I appreciate your call and I'm, I'm very happy that you made it and congratulations for overcoming your nervousness. But I think we have to be so careful these days because there's an awful lot of people out there giving out misinformation and there's an awful lot of people preying on the suspicions and the paranoia of other people. And I think we have to be really careful to make sure that if we are going to say something has happened and if there is an increase in the postal vote, we need to get some evidence of that. And at the moment... I just don't think we have it. But listen, Rachel, keep listening because I'm going to talk to Joe Twyman now, who's a pollster, a man uh, who keeps tabs on all of the things that actually happen and is interested in facts only. Joe, uh, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Joe, thanks very much indeed. I mean, do you know anything about this postal vote uh, accusation that seems to be doing the rounds? I mean, I've seen no evidence myself that the postal vote is any higher than it would otherwise have been. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know the details of that. I saw it tweeted on uh, on Twitter from indeed Ross, the political editor at Talk Radio, was one of the uh, one of the people to tweet it out. I believe it comes from the returning officer uh -huh. in the same way that the, uh, that the 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 total turnout does. But I, I'm not sure about that. What I what I would say is that the turnout for this by-election was higher than you would generally expect. 48% yeah. uh, for this by-election was, generally uh, speaking, anything above sort of 35% for a by-election is counted as good. Mm. What Labour were concentrating on from the very beginning was getting their vote out as far as they, uh, as far as they could. And it appears that they have been very successful in doing that. And part of that will be the, uh, will be the postal votes because that always forms part 
of, uh, of any get-out-the-vote campaign. Uh, but I don't know any more details beyond that. No, but of course, what happens in this day and age, as you well know, Joe, is that, you know, things start on the internet, uh, Twitter starts up and, you know, people start exchanging information on Facebook. And before you know it, people like Rachel are ringing a radio station to say, well, what about this postal vote? And then she doesn't really understand or know what the figure is, which is which is not un, unacceptable. It's just, you know, I wish we could get to the bottom of these things quicker than we actually do. Uh, yeah, and and it's not just a matter of getting to the bottom of it. Of course, it's a matter of uh, of clarification on what the correct information is out there. And I think the point that you made just previously about the losing side, whichever side that is, then claiming uh, some sort of foul play whether that is uh, accusations around the mechanics of the election or accusations around uh, uh, complaints about whether it's uh, racism, anti-Semitism, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things fly, uh, fly around in, in both directions, and it, it's sometimes difficult to, to get to the, uh, the truth of the matter. Yeah, it really is. Well, we'll look into it, but, I mean, the trouble is, as we say often around here, you know, the, tr uh, the lie goes around the world faster than the truth and get its trousers on, and I just don't want to be making the wrong decision based upon something which is being put out there, which is not at the moment how calculable. But anyway, let's talk about the analysis proper of what this uh, result would suggest to us. I'm saying that I think it shows that the two-party system is much more resilient against an attack from either the Lib Dems or indeed the Brexit Party, both of whom probably not didn't do quite as well as they were expecting to. Uh, yeah, that's right. I think it, I think it's very easy to get very excited by the uh, European elections and indeed by this by-election result. But what we do know is that in terms of predictive power for general elections, the, when it really, really matters, if you like, uh, these elections have uh, have pretty little power in that respect because they're always judged uh, individually in a specific context. And we talked previously about how the European elections were a consequence-free environment for people. Well, they weren't such a consequence-free environment in, uh, in this by-election. And we saw that, for instance, when it comes down to certain circumstances, you can get situations where, it, as we saw in this case, the Brexit vote is split. If all of the uh, pro-Brexit supporters had voted either for Conservatives or for the Brexit Party, they would have won this seat by some distance. Uh, but instead, uh, but instead, it's Labour that's able to uh, to sneak in. Now, of course, this has big uh, implications for the Conservative Party and the Brexit Party moving forward. Do they want to be responsible for potentially? Uh, letting Jeremy Corbyn into 10 Downing Street. Now, that's an oversimplification of the situation, but it demonstrates how these things can, in certain circumstances, occur. No, absolutely right. And what does it mean for the Conservative Party going forward with when it comes to the Brexit Party? Because what we do know uh, is that we're hearing a lot of mood music coming from the Tories that, you know, they're going to have to do something about Nigel Farage, either bringing him inside the tent or in some way uh, stopping him from doing damage from outside of it. I would say what they need to do is something about Brexit. Now, this won't solve the problem completely, and we'll come back to that in a second, but, but they need to have some sort of solution on Brexit that feels real to a large proportion of pro-Brexit supporters. Now, that doesn't necessarily need to be a hard Brexit. In fact, it may be preferable that it's not a hard Brexit, but it has to be something where Brexit supporters think, yes, that constitutes a real Brexit. Now, Brexit is just part of the problem. It's a symptom of a wider problem about distrust, dissatisfaction and disapproval of the political class. And so you can't 
solve the problem of Nigel Farage and uh, and the Brexit party simply by coming to some sort of uh, some sort of position on Brexit but it certainly will help and it may give them enough to in key seats at a general election when people are focusing on other things it may give them the uh, the numbers they need to pull a hell of labor Yes, exactly right. And so what conclusions for the Lib Dems out of this as well? Because they were very cock-a-hoop after the Euro elections, telling everybody that, you know, this is a massive endorsement for the Remain uh, side of the argument, that people clearly want to stay in the European Union, add up all the uh, different Remain parties, and it's very clear that uh, the Brexit is not the way forward. I mean, their vote has pretty much um, collapsed, hasn't it, in uh, Peterborough? Well, in Peterborough, they did better than previously, and they did better than uh, than you might have expected two or three uh, two or three months ago. But what they have to remember is that it's not all about Brexit in certain circumstances when it comes to a general election, uh, and indeed, the general election may not be for well <laughs> months, years potentially, and by then depending on how Brexit turns out, uh, they could find themselves in a very strong position or a very weak position. But they have to keep in mind that it won't just be about that. And they won't have this consequence-free environment of the European elections mm. next time around. OK. Joe, thanks very much indeed. Joe Twyman, founder of Delta Poll, uh, with the Peterborough by-election lessons to be learned. And to go back to this postal vote argument, it seems to me um, that people are getting a little bit hysterical here because the 69% figure uh, is a figure which is about the number of postal votes which were returned, i.e. not all of them, uh, just about slightly more than two-thirds. So um, it's not about uh, general voting fraud just because people have upped the postal vote number. And in fact, it's not particularly up anyway. And one of the things that we're learning this morning is that when you are out there on the campaign trail and if you are a well-organised political party which Labour is in Peterborough then one of the things that you make sure that you absolutely get a hold of is all the people who are going to vote by post make sure that they do it make sure their vote counts and make sure you get the vote out that's what democracy is I'm afraid uh, so all of you looking for some kind of you know postal vote fraud jiggery pokery I think you might be barking up the wrong tree. 0344 499 1000. The bottom line is, is Nigel Farage thought they were going to win. He turned up at the count uh, and then he skulked out uh, instead of actually playing it right and getting some good PR out of it. I think he made a bit of a blunder. We'll hear from him coming up and we'll take some of your calls as well. This is Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far <laughs> enough. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, 0344 You can tweet us at Talk Radio. You can text us, of course, at 87222. Uh, now, you would not be surprised if you heard me say these words. It is perfectly normal to want to kill your boss. Just think about that for a second. We're going to talk to Joe Hemming shortly about that, who's, of course, a psychologist and uh, probably has had the odd boss or two that she might have wanted to kill. Uh, I've never had a boss I wanted to kill. Let's talk to Darren, who's in Suffolk. Hello, Darren. Yeah, hi, Mike. How, How you doing? doing? Yeah, very well, sir. What do you want to say? Yeah, if I came to your door today and said, um, could I count on your vote, please? And you said yes. And I said, could you get your election card and just put the cross in and I'll post it for you? Uh -huh. And then I went to the end of the road and I got about 15, 20 postal cards. The question I wanted to ask is, is that legal or is it not? I would imagine so, not uh, legal. So that's what I would do, though, if, if, as a salesman, if somebody gave me a task. So um, that's the question. Is that going on? Is that sort of behaviour going no, on? No, I've because, no idea. Uh, 
Um, that's what I would ask, really, because yeah. postal votes seem very, very high to me. Well, it's not, though. If you look up uh, the history of postal voting in this country, um, generally speaking, 69% is not... 69% of the vote that was made by post. It's 69% of the people who asked to vote by post actually did. That's what oh, it is. It's not 69% of the total vote. It's 69% of those who asked to postal vote actually sent their postal votes in. Well, whether these people got um, sent to prison for doing something like that, breaking the rules, I don't know. But, um, but Yeah, but you see what we're doing here. You're making a whole series yeah. of possibilities and assumptions and... But basically, to cast aspersions on the result, I don't think it's any... radio, though, isn't it? No, not really. I don't think there's any reason to make stuff up and say, "Well, obviously that's no, why we're they've not won." It up, Mike. Well, you are. No, we're not making it up. You're no, making no, we, it up. We, 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 we're just putting the question. If, as a salesman, if somebody asked me to do a task like that, that's the way I would do it. Well, you might as well say, "What if, as a salesman, you decided to walk into the ballot and the count and just stuff the ballot boxes with a load of fake votes? What if you did that? Is that illegal?" Yeah, but... Yeah, but that wouldn't be selling, though, would it? Well, it's same. It's the same sort of syndrome, though. You're making something up and saying maybe this happened. Well, maybe it did, but it probably didn't. Is my point. I, we do. We deal in facts here. That's what we're doing. Exactly. We don't deal in supposition and possibility. Otherwise, we'll never get anywhere. Food for thought, though. Food for thought, indeed. Thank you, Darren. Uh, good call. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. Let's talk to Joe Hemmings about killing your boss because this is a far more interesting subject. Joe, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Now, I mean, we've all had bosses we didn't like very much, but I can't. Yep. I must. I, I can tell you though. I, I once wrote a novel, uh, as yet unpublished, um, oh, right. which was based on um, a newspaper story because it was all I knew about, right? And in the story. The figure who was very similar to one of my bosses was actually run over and killed in a car. <laughs> right. Which is not to say okay. that I was in any way feeling uh, horribly, you know, sort of um, nasty towards her, but, but she did die in the book. Well, I suppose that was a way of getting it out of your system. Yeah. Um, rather than actually either having those thoughts or acting on those yes, thoughts. Yes, quite. Yes. Um, well, I think the thing about this is I've got a lot of respect, let me say, for Julia Shaw, who's the criminal psychologist that that stated yes. uh, that it's perfectly okay to uh, want to get both at the Cheltenham Science Festival. It's known as homicidal ideation. And it isn't that uncommon when people have thoughts about killing other people. Right. At one end of the scale, you know, I hate my boss, you know, I want to kill him. I wish he was dead, actually, it's more common. But, the, you know, we can understand, we, it resonates with us, that real anger when someone, you know, totally got your go with. You know, it's either your boss or the end of a relationship, mm. painful breakup, whatever. But the truth is, at one end of the spectrum, it's kind of okay. It is relatively normal. But any further down that spectrum, if you start planning it or thinking about it, or it takes hold, it takes control of you, or it becomes obsessive, of course, that's not normal. At all. No. And also, and presumably, it should only be a passing thing. Like, for example, when something terrible has happened and your boss has, has, has yeah. kind of shouted at you or something like that, or, or really sent you a horrible email, and then you then maybe you think it for a split second. But surely if you think about it for any more than a split second, it's it's a bit of a problem, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. And I think more people... I think it's, the, it's that term of sort of killing them, because I think quite often we have thought... I have thought about bosses in the past. I hate them. Yeah. You know, kind of, I wouldn't mind if they weren't there anymore. I wouldn't mind if they were dead, but I've actually never thought about how I might go about mm. killing them to get rid of that thought. So I think that's the danger zone. And to normalise uh, homicidal thoughts, homicidal ideation, I think is very dangerous, particularly when you put it into a, a feature in a newspaper where your headline is, yeah, wanting to kill your boss, perfectly <laughs> normal. Um, I think that's sending out a pretty weird message. Well, I think uh, so. What about if you dream 
uh, about killing your boss or you have... Oh, well, that's your subconscious and you don't really have any control over it. And that's not a bad thing, actually, because in some ways you're getting out those thoughts that might come into the conscious brain in your dream. So we're kind of getting rid of them and dealing with them that way. But if you really think that way and you think it for a while, there is something else going on. There's unresolved anger, there's unhealed pain. Uh, You feel out of control. It's some sort of cry for help. So you would need some sort of treatment um, or counselling to resolve some of those issues because it is not normal to think that way for more than Mm. a nanosecond. Here's here's one for you. I don't know how good you are at analysing dreams, but a friend of mine was telling me a story the other day. He's, his boss is quite a big guy, right? Quite sort of uh, porky, shall we say. And he's not. Uh, but in his dream, he walked up to the boss and suddenly the boss was very slim and he was the one that was really fat. And the boss said to him, why are you so fat? What are you making that? <laughs> OK, two versions of that. One is most dreams sort of usually end up in anxiety of some sort. <laughs> so either he's got some sort of fear of putting on weight or he's fearful of his boss. Or more like, he wants that boss's job. So... Uh, Okay. Uh, that's ambition. So what he's seeing is projecting himself into that boss's role. And of course, because that boss is fat, he's become he's become the fat cat, and and he yeah. um, the boss has become the sort of smaller one who's more submissive. Okay. So I say it was ambitious dream. Oh, he'll he'll enjoy that. I'll tell him that later. <laughs> what about um, the sort of the, the the sort of ill feeling? I suppose rather than wanting to kill the boss, if you've got a boss that you really don't get on with, and you can it can sometimes kind of punctuate your life, can't it? Because you can wake up and worry about it, go to bed worrying about it. I mean, what, 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 what happens in that case if you are kind of single-mindedly, you know, focusing on the boss all the time and not, and not wanting to kill them, but, but maybe wanting to do something to them? Okay. I mean, in a practical sense, uh, you know, what you've got to do is either if you've got some way of tackling the issue that's causing the problem by going to HR or if you're brave enough, perhaps going directly to the boss, uh, you know, you need to resolve what's causing that sort of anger and hatred and distress, or you leave your job. I mean, that's often what people do. There simply is a kind of complete mismatch of personalities, and it's, that job is not sustainable under that boss. Um, or you report them, perhaps they're, they're a bully. I mean, it, it totally depends on the mm. situation, but I do think it needs resolution in some way, because they, they make people give people insomnia, you know, there's a lot of distress, it's unproductive, yeah. you know, in the workplace, there's a million reasons why you shouldn't hopefully have to carry on in that situation. OK. Well, Joe, listen, thank you very much indeed. I'll make sure that people get the message. It's not actually OK to think about wanting to kill your boss, uh, and it's not particularly normal, unless you literally only think of it for a second. If you're thinking about it for any longer than a second, you need to get some help. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's 12.33, it's Friday, it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. It's been very much of a circus atmosphere this week, hasn't it, with the by-election results and all that sorts of things going on. Con Mendes is here uh, to deliver once again uh, this week's Perrier Awards. A very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Welcome. Yeah, absolutely. And an answer to the question, how do we possibly live up to the excitement of the Labour Party managing to hold a seat in a by-election? Well, the answer is, of course, the Perrier Awards. Of course. Uh, This is where we go back over the past week of the so-called Independent Republic of Mike Graham and choose our favourite moment. Uh, Mike, 
You win the first award, Thank goodness. as is tradition. As is tradition, yes. Uh, on the day Trump began his state visit on Monday, you were a little excitable and you won Threat of the Week against the production team. <laughs> So I thought I said I didn't want to have any kind of, uh, you know, Mickey taking. The President of the United States has come to this country. He's on a state visit, all right? None of these ridiculous balloons, none of this ridiculous kind of comparison to the evil empire. They're our biggest allies. Get this rubbish off, please. I'm not having it. Get it off or else I'm going to have to come in there and crack a few heads. <laughs> One day I'll do that, if it's allowed. <laughs> yeah, I thought I may as well clip Health and it. Safety. I was already clipping it up for HR. So, Thank you very uh, much. We may as well put it yeah. in as a pair, yeah? Sure. Um, Trump's, visited, uh, <laughs> Trump's visit prompted some conversation, of course, between supporters and critics. Uh, this all came to a head this week on this show when Mike went up against a protester live from Trafalgar Square and they win the constructive debate of the week. What about Donald Trump's uh, uh, appearance here for D-Day? Because that is really why he's here. He's here to... Well, I think it's to an come insult. Out. Excuse me, he's I here to... Excuse me, let me finish well, the question, you please. Me, I haven't I finished the question. Insult. I haven't well, finished I'm the sorry, question. It's an insult he said to the families and the veterans who died. It's an insult to the families who died. Well, you're well, using... Well, I'm sorry, you're I, don't, using, I don't believe there were good people in a Ku Klux Klan demonstration. No, I don't. What a plank. <laughs> I mean, with these people, I mean, what do they think a conversation actually is? I think we solved a lot there. Yes. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, why there's no point talking to these lefties. Uh, our next award goes to Martin Ware. Um, he wins oh, yeah. the much sought after best insult from an 80s pop star. I've just been accused of being a pathetic gammon by a former member of Heaven 17. <laughs> Can you believe that some old balding pop star from the 70s and the 80s who used to be in the Human League thinks it's a good idea to call me a gammon? <laughs> it was one of the more bizarre tweets I've had this week. I've had, I've had a few. I had a funny one from Jon Snow. I've just had one from Rory Bremner. Really, these things are picking up on Twitter, I'll tell you. Oh, I hope he writes a song about it. Yeah, maybe. Uh, back to you, Mike. Uh, the Independent Republic of is, of course, a source of facts. Of course. Uh, that in itself Absolutely. is a fact. Yeah. Uh, but you win the most irrelevant fact. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Welcome back uh, to the land of sanity. Uh, that's, of course, Jimi Hendrix playing the Star Spangled Banner. Um, he lived in London for a while. Nick Dubois with me here. <laughs> It's not untrue, though, he did. No, no, in fact, it's... I think he's got a blue plaque somewhere, hasn't he? Uh, possibly. Yeah. I, I once heard of him. He lived to some, somewhere weird, like, um, you know, not West Hampstead, but somewhere up that way, I think. Yeah, sort of New Maida Vale. Somewhere like yeah, that, yeah. I heard he uh, introduced the parakeet to London, but I don't know if it's I true. I don't think that's true. OK. Um, uh, Talk Radio's very own Jamie East now. Oh, yes. Um, he wins a couple of pairs. He's got a show week. every Sunday. Yes. Uh, first up is for a pronunciation of the week. Mm. So then uh, it was a guy called... Um, what's his name? Kerry... I'm gonna, I don't want to pronounce it wrong. Fucking Argwa. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky he didn't get it wrong. Well, I, I don't know who he's talking about, so I'm not. He's the director. Oh, he's he's the guy who's now doing the new Bond yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. I'm not going to try. Is that it. correct? Yeah, neither me. No. Uh, Jamie also wins the plug of the week uh, for his show. Because you're on every weekend, right? Every weekend. Every Sunday. Every Sunday, yeah. one till four. We do Excellent. movies, TV, and film. Yeah, movies, movies TV, TV and, and film. film. Yeah, also on that show, wow. they talk about what's on at the pictures, <laughs> on the silver screen, in the movie theatre, yeah. and what's going on in Hollywood. Yeah, so it's, it's all very different. It's all that celluloid. Um, a classic now, mm. one of my favourite callers from the week. This is Mark in Ipswich. He wins Shutdown of the Week. <laughs> So we had one person, like this morning, yeah. who was um, an anti-Trump, all right, he was a bit belligerent at that, but you very quickly turned him off. And well, I, I turned him off because he wouldn't stop talking, you... Mark. 
Well, well, like you do. <laughs> he got yeah. you there. Well, he didn't really, because uh, <laughs> actually telling me that all I do is talk is not necessarily an insult to somebody who talks for a living. Yeah, it's just a description of your job, really. Yeah. Why didn't you get me shutting him down? Uh, we couldn't find the audio. Yeah, yeah, you should have looked for that. So you're always looking to undermine me, aren't you? Uh, no, Shocking. That's, uh, um, another favourite now, impression of the week. <laughs> Mike, you've been keeping this one a secret. Mm. You know, this seems to be the way that we now behave in modern society, egged on by the likes of Jeremy Corbyn, screeching at the top of his voice about making the world a better place for everybody! <laughs> I thought that was quite good. It's like just having him here in the studio. It is remarkable, it's, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, no it's wonder Rory Bremner's tweeting you. That's right, yeah. He's, he's scared. Yeah, he is, yeah. He's on the run. <laughs> yeah, uh, family man of the week now. Mm. Any guesses, Mike? Could be me. Yeah, it is. I love travelling on my own because normally I've got to cart a whole load of people around with me who are inevitably annoying and extremely expensive. <laughs> Your family. Yeah, that's called my family, yeah. yeah. It's true, though. I'm going to New York on my own tomorrow, thank God. Um, Ricky in Glasgow adds another perrier to his collection, this time for excuse of the week. Why, why don't we just ban the English football team from international football on the grounds that nobody would notice? Well, they probably noticed uh, in the World Cup, Ricky, because they got to the semi-finals, didn't they, of the World Cup? And you can't have semi-finals uh, with only three teams. Now, that would have been a great joke if you'd said it about Scotland, of course, who couldn't even qualify for this tournament. Excuse, hold, hold on, mate. Hold well played, Scotland. They've, mate, they've, they've, they've expanded the World Cup. You still can't get into it. Excuse me, mate. There's a telephone. I'll have to go. Yes, I know. I thought you would. Thank you very much. Ricky in Glasgow there. Always dangerous to make jokes about national football teams when you're in Scotland. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Dangerous. Um, and finally, uh, this is from my favourite sentence of the whole shows of all the weeks. OK. Uh, you win this, Mike. It's the Perrier for best nickname. Uh, who are now playing in another tournament after great success in Russia, where, by the way, there was no yobbery, there was no thuggery, because none of these bozos bothered to go to Russia for fear that they might get their heads cracked uh, by the Gulag squad. <laughs> Something strange. <laughs> The Gulag Squad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you knew who I meant, though, right? Yeah, I mean, he yeah, immediately absolutely. conjures up an image, doesn't it? Oh, it's great. That's uh, what I do, you see. I paint pictures with words. Really? Well, yeah. very nice. Thank you. Uh, that's it. For I've got a lot this week. Yeah, you have. Very You've well been done. working very hard. Well done. Thank you. Uh, there will be more Perry Awards next week. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 